Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George. It is so great to have you. Today we get to talk to a legend in the scouting industry for baseball. Marty Lamb has worked for the LA Dodgers for the past 24 years, and he is going to be uh, just a voice of wisdom for us on how to spot great talent. How do you look for somebody that beyond just they execute well or they do a good job, how do you know this is gonna be a good fit for your organization? For anybody who is trying to create a team, whether it's at the PTA, whether it's at the homecoming dance or whether it's the uh, organization that you lead or a Fortune 500 company or the church that you run, we're all looking to build teams. How do you look for the right people? How do you find people that are beyond just the stat sheet? Well, that's what Marty's going to talk to us about today. I first heard about Marty from my buddy Brian Dodd and Mike Lynch, both previous podcast guests, and I was directed to a great book called How to Beat a Broken Game. Uh, Marty has been a baseball scout for the Dodgers for the last 24 years, and today he's going to give us some great, great wisdom. So hope you really enjoyed this conversation. As we have been over the past few weeks, we are sponsored this month by Stadia. Stadia is a church planning organization that helps to release church planters into the world and free them up to create great church planning organizations and church planning churches. So make sure that you check out stadiachurchplanting.org. Maybe you want to plant a church. Maybe you've got a friend that wants to plant a church, I think you're really going to like what it is that they are doing. And so you can sponsor a church planner, you can sponsor kids, you can sponsor the work that they do, or you can find out more about planting a church at stadiachurchplanning.org. All right, here is my conversation with Dodger Scout, Marty Lamb. Well, Marty Lamb, great to have you on the podcast. For people that don't know who you are, uh, I've already introed them and told them that you're a, a baseball scout for the LA Dodgers. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Have you always been in baseball? Have you played baseball? How'd you get to be a scout? I think a lot of us would love to have that job. A lot of y'all would like to do that job, but when you start having to drive all the miles and all the windshield time and all, you might not want to as much as, uh, <laughs> as people think it is. We always kid around and we're like, you know, crazy things will happen or whatever. And you're like, okay, yeah, you want to be a scout, do you? You know, so late nights and things <laughs> like that. So uh, I appreciate you having me on, Rusty. I, uh, yeah, I guess I've been in baseball basically all my life. I ended up um, playing in junior college out in Ventura uh, County. And uh, okay, and then ended up going back. I, I grew up in Colorado. And um, went back to school there, started coaching at Northern Colorado, um, spent about three years there, and then uh, had the great opportunity to, to work for Coach Ron Polk at Mississippi State as a graduate assistant. Um, and this was all the way back in 91. And then uh, had a high school job for a couple years in Mississippi. So a Colorado kid moving to Mississippi was quite a quite a big. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on that one, um, and then uh, ended up at Southern Miss from that, and uh, coached there for three years. Ended up going to uh, Texas Tech after that, mm. and spent three years there. And then uh, it's like February of '99. Um, I ended up getting offered the job uh, with the Dodgers. And um, uh, started in 99, moved. My wife and I had just gotten married. And uh, shoot, we had been married like eight months or something. And all of a sudden, I'm taking a new job. And we're going all the way or halfway across the country, I guess. And uh, settled in Lexington and uh, have worked for the Dodgers for the last 24 years. I tell people I've tricked them for 24 years and they hadn't fired me yet. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can make it a few more. So the way that works, so I, I guess I'd never really thought about it when it comes to scouts. They, they just position you all over the country and you're in charge of a region. Is that how that works? And then you just keep an eye out for the up and coming stars that, that they might be interested in drafting. Right. So um, 
the country's divided up in all different ways. You know, we've got two guys that work, you know, uh, Florida. You know, there's a couple guys that work Texas. One works South Texas, North Texas into Oklahoma, different things like that. And then the region that I have is Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. I've got a little smidge of West Virginia over towards Marshall. Mm. And then um, I used to have Indiana, um, but it was just too much. There was too good, too many good players, um, and you really didn't get a chance to see them often enough. And um, because, and I tell people that you know they don't, they don't understand. But like in those, if you count Indiana, there's like 33 Division One schools in those areas hmm. and, and you know and you could say well yeah but some of them are you know smaller or a max school or whatever well there's been first rounders come out of yeah you know a lot of those schools so you can't just disregard them so trying to do you know 33 division ones and then you got all your smaller you know division two three and ai and then to go along with that all the high school players um it was just too much. So really Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, sort of what we've, you know, landed on. And, you know, most people don't realize they think of California, Florida, Texas as the hotbeds of players. But mm-hmm. when you start going Vanderbilt, Louisville, Kentucky, University of Tennessee now is back. When I first started, they were really good, and then they sort of hit a little lull, and now they're back, and back with a vengeance, really, right now. Hmm. Um, but you got Ohio State, you know, all this, the schools around Cincinnati. There's some pretty good players. I mean, they did a, they did a uh, sort of a study a couple years ago, and on average – not what we spent, but what the industry spent in all these different areas across the country, it was like $12 million or whatever was spent in guys' areas um, when they put the pencil to it. Well, my area was like $29 million or something, you know? And you wouldn't really <laughs> think that this area is that good. But when, especially those big schools – They've put out some good players and some high draft picks, which runs the money up, obviously. So wow. it's been a very good area and a very, very fruitful area, really. Right. So when you sit in the stands and you watch a player, um, give me just a few checklist things you're looking for. Uh, I remember hearing a basketball coach say one time, I always want to watch how they practice or how they, they do the the warm-ups, because I can tell a lot about just their, their attention to detail. What are you looking for in a player besides just the obvious that most average fan looks for? Um, as a position player, well, either of them, really. I mean, you're just sort of, you do. You try to get there earlier, and you're just sort of seeing, you know, how they carry themselves on the field, you know, what the temperament's like, um, what kind of competitor they are. Um, you know, and then you do a lot of background stuff so you can get, you know, you can get a lot of your stuff, um, you know, watching them and just move around, move them moving around and that kind of thing. But then you also have to try to dig deeper into that and try to find, figure out makeup and character and, you know, work ethic and all those kind of things. And those things, I don't know, probably, you know, tie into how good the player is going to be and, and make a bigger impact than sometimes the tools do. Right. You know, I mean, you go through and, you know, a position player, you're going to try to grade out, you know, hit, power, run, defense, and arm, you know. But we, you heard it a lot, a lot years ago with the older scouts, you know, but that sixth tool is the makeup tool you know, and what kind of makeup they've got because, you know, I've been proud of some of the guys that I've signed that maybe weren't necessarily the most tooled up guys, 
but the makeup allowed them to get to the big leagues and stay in the big leagues at times, you know, for a while. And so I don't, that's the biggest thing. What's inside them, what makes them tick, you know, I think, um, because I mean, this is, you think about this. I mean, those guys are going through spring training and then they're going through 162 games. And then if you're lucky enough, you're in the playoffs. That's a long season and, uh, you know, away from your family a lot of times. And it it's just a grind. Right. And they have to be tough mentally um, to be able to get through that. So, so, I mean, that seems like, a really difficult thing to try to figure out. <laughs> and I mean, just speaking from when I hire people and people listen to this podcast, who have to hire people. Wh- how do you figure out what they're made up of? What kind of character they have? Uh, what are some things that you've had to do to, to learn that? Um, I think one, it's just sort of trying to read people, you know, in the, in the initial stages, because in a typical year, you know, you'll see, you'll see guys in the fall play and then come around uh, anywhere from probably November, December, and into January, we'll go and have personal meetings with those players. Okay. So, um, you know, you'll go down to, you know, Vanderbilt, let's just say, and you'll sit there and you'll get, you'll get, I don't know. Typically it's probably 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and you just try to pick their brain and sort of figure out, you know, the intelligence level, you know, their commitment, their, you might, t- you know, I'll sometimes talk about deliveries and let's say a pitcher, I might talk about the mechanics or the delivery and just to see like how in tune they are with that. Um, are they somebody that, it's more feel versus, you know, have everything having to be exactly right. Um, hmm. You know, the intelligence, you know, you might ask them things of like, um, you know, how would you pitch this certain hitter? Or if you see a hitter doing this or stand in the box this way, how would you pitch them? Just to try to see how they think a little bit, hmm. you know, and so, but it's hard to do in that short a period of time to really get a great feel. So then you go out and, you know, now you start talking to, you know, some assistant coaches. You might talk to, um, you know, we've, we've got some guys where we've signed some kids, let's just say, from Louisville. I might go back to a different a player that we signed before from Louisville and say, hey, what do you got on? You know, this kid mm. that, that was there, um, you know, that big prospect we've got, uh, Bobby Miller is in double A right now. And, and, um, through that process, it was like, I went and talked to one of the other kids that we had signed out of Louisville, you know, and I'm like, you know, what do you got? And, and he was like, I'm telling you, this guy is super athletic. One of the hardest working guys you know, we've got, or I've been around, you know, things like that. So when the coaches tell you, and then you get it confirmed with somebody else, you know, you might go another step of, you know, who do you play for in the summer? You know, they go off and maybe they play in the Cape Cod league or they play in a different league and you might call somebody and find out, you know, how were they in the summer away from school, away from more of a structured um, situation, you know, how were they, you know, and, and then you just start trying to piece all those things together, you know, to try to make, I mean, really, like you were saying with hiring, you, you, it's an educated guess, right? right? I mean, you're trying to make, you're trying to make as many calls as you can to, and then, and if it just, if the puzzle keeps fitting and fitting and fitting, it seems like, um, you know, what you're coming up with is probably correct. So is there a, um, uh, maybe a list of things that make up a Dodger, meaning we, this is the kind of team we are. This is the kind of player we're looking for. So where you might find somebody that's really good 
but they're just not the Dodger makeup. How would you describe what a Dodger is that you're looking for? I think when you go through all those checklists and all those things, if they come out with, you know, I think work ethic obviously is one of the biggest ones, you know? Um, okay. Work ethic. How do they, you know, how do they deal with teammates? Um, what kind of, um, how do they deal with teammates? Um, you know, how do they do in the classroom? You know, are they, ahead of schedule in the classroom or, you know, Mm. well, this guy's got a 2.1 and, you know, whatever, or this guy's got a three, seven in finance. I mean, I get it. We're not all students, but some of that stuff matters, you know, and, you know, it's, it's the hardest when you start doing high school players, Mm. you know, because now you don't have some of those other things that you can look back on. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I sat there one time, and the kid ended up pitching in the big leagues. Um, <laughs> and this may sound mean to some people, but I, I was sitting there, and it's like the fourth or fifth inning, and I look over, and he's got his head peeked out of the dugout, motioned to his mom to bring him a Gatorade. And I'm thinking, that's not mature enough to handle what we potentially – you know, the situations that he can go through. So I'm like, and you know what? I mean, most kids um, need to go to college. You know, there's a few that are ready, but most kids, you know, and you're like, if that kid's having to go to his mom for a Gatorade in the middle while he's pitching, I don't know that he's ready for pro baseball, you know, and I mean, for pitching in Dodger stadium, you know, I mean, and they mature, you know, I mean, I had one and actually he plays for us now that, um, you know, it's, you're just trying to like what matters and what doesn't matter. And I can remember we've got, uh, this one kid, they said, well, you know, if somebody hits a ball to the second baseman and, and the second baseman boots the ball, you know, he'll throw his hands up in the air and show the second baseman up and whatever. And I'm like, is that, I, I get it. That sounds bad. But if you look at it on a different flip side, you might say, that guy's really competitive. And, it, you know, and, and mm. when he gets into pro ball and if he tries to do that, Either the second baseman and him will have an argument in the dugout or the manager will say, don't do that anymore. You know, and mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, you know, especially with high school guys, we're 18, 19 before, you know, we act stupid and do stupid things and we're not very mature. And that's what either college or pro ball can help them do is look, that's not acceptable and don't do that anymore. So, you've got to sort of wade through some of that stuff because I know some people are like, well, I don't, I've got no interest in that guy. And I'm like, well, what if he's super competitive? You know, I mean, so mm-hmm. anyhow, I, I don't know. There's just, um, you know, I don't know. I guess you'd, you might've been in LA by that, but we signed Chad Billingsley years ago, you know, and was a good pitcher for the Dodgers. Mm. And uh, I mean, it was he was focused and, you know, the, <laughs> we did after we signed him, this sort of gives you a little idea on makeup. So after we signed him, he had moved to Vero. That's when we had spring training and the facility still in Vero Beach. And uh, we sign him and it's like January and I call him and I'm like, hey, what do you, you know, what you doing? Just sort of checking in on him. And he said, well, I've been working out and. I said, where are you working out at Vero? And he goes, no, they won't let me in right now. I haven't passed. I have to do a physical or I don't know, something, which you're going, really? This kid is from Defiance, Ohio. He's moved to Vero and we can't get him in the facility. You know, that was one thing. Right. We'll figure that one out. But I was like, what are you doing then? He goes, well, I just, I went over and I've got a gold's gym um, membership and I'm working out over there and I built 
a mound and a net in my backyard and I'm throwing into that. Now, if that's not a motivated, <laughs> disciplined, work ethic type kid, you know what I mean? Like that's what sets some of those guys apart. Yeah. Here he is on his own, built a mound to throw into a net in Vero Beach because he can't get into the facility. You know, and he was ready, mm. you know. So Yeah, that's the kind of kid you want. Tell me about finding Walker Bueller. <laughs> this was a kid that you all discovered. And now he's the ace for the Dodgers. Um, you know, what did you see in him initially that made you think, okay, this kid's going to be something special? Well, you know, uh, we had Walker Bueller here in, in Lexington in high school. Mm -hmm. You know, so we saw him, the scouting industry saw him, I don't know, I probably saw him the first time maybe as a sophomore in high school um, or junior year, something like that. And the thing with, Walker was everything worked so easy, you know? I mean, hmm. he was a skinny little, you know, guy, but his arm worked super easy. He had pitches. He could spin the ball. He had a changeup. He had field a pitch. The fastball back then, I'd have to go back and look at old reports. I would say probably 89, 91-ish maybe, you know? Um, some 88, 91, somewhere through there, probably, but it all worked really easy. So that was in high school. Well, then, um, he had committed to Vanderbilt. Well, um, trying to sign guys, you can sign them out of high school to sign guys out of Vanderbilt or away from Vanderbilt, I should say, you know, it, it takes, it's going to take quite a bit of money and, so, you know, he ended up going to Vanderbilt um, and then pitching there and, um, you know, had a really a good, uh, this would have been his summer leading into his junior year, um, really good in the Cape Cod, you know, mm. high profile, going to be a high pick and whatever. And I, I, you know what? I've never really asked him about this, but um, throughout that spring, the stuff really wasn't as good as it had been in the summer, you know. And um, so, the, <laughs> luckily for us, that's why he ended up getting down. I forget what pick that was, twenty-seven or something like that. That's why, mm. because if he's healthy we don't get it, you know? And, yeah. um, but the guys, you know, that I work for, you know, Andrew Friedman and Billy Gasparino or whatever, like, this is the talent. If he's hurt, you know, and if we can get him healthy, we've got a guy at 27 that should have gone way up here, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and really he, um, he had had some rest I think, and again, I haven't asked him this, we had already drafted him. When he pitched in the World Series, his stuff, I think probably that World Series game was in the College World Series, excuse me, um, was probably better than it was all spring. Now, he'd had some time to rest and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a quick one on Bueller. I mean, so you've got that you know, tools, whatever. But then you've got a super sharp kid. I mean, he's very, very smart. Mm -hmm. And he's very, very, very competitive. And, um, you know, just like like I was talking, so you go down there and you interview him in the wintertime, and it's like, tell me about your delivery. Tell me about, you know, if you get off track on your delivery, you know, what are your cues to try to get you back on track? And I mean, it was boom, boom, boom. Hmm. You just, and when you've got a young guy like that, especially like in high school that already has the field to pitch, you know, it's just not chucking it up there. And hopefully, I mean, he had field to pitch. So now, if the projection does come like it has, then you've got field of pitch and here's all the stuff to go with it. And, you know, so 
his competitiveness is one of the, you know, it's off the charts, really. Um, hmm. He did this and the confidence. So he's going to go pitch in the College World Series. And that junior year, he was getting a little too quick in his delivery. So his arm wasn't catching up. And he was getting, he was landing and, and his arm just wasn't catching up as well. And here's a guy in the largest game of his career at this point, he had made an adjustment in his delivery. He starts going over his head, you know, like a full windup in the College World Series. And I'm thinking, that takes some kind of confidence to change your delivery Mm. some during your start for the College World Series. So that's... That's part of what makes Walker Bueller tick. Yeah. Hey, let me interrupt this episode for just a second. Would you help plant a church today? You can do that in a very simple way. Go to stadiachurchplanting.org today to find out more. All right, back to the show. Yeah, that is pretty significant to start making tweaks and changes to what you feel so comfortable with Mm -hmm. on the fly. Mm -hmm. Who are a few players that, well, you weren't sure, but boy, they have really impressed you now and they might be a dodger or they might not be some guys that throughout the throughout my scouting career in the area yeah <laughs> you do we really have to open up that uh skeleton clo- <laughs> closet full of skeletons <laughs> i mean i don't mean i don't mean the one that got away but just a few people you thought yeah. wow they're Turned out better than I thought. <laughs> no, I, I, the reason I say that, I'm saying it kiddingly. I mean, this is such a hard job, and it's, you know, to try to figure out what they potentially can be. Um, so it's just, you know, you go and you might see him. You might go see a guy two or three times, let's say a hitter, and he might have off days, you know, and it's like, all right, how do you try to – um, hmm. to navigate that, you know, I'm not seeing him very good, but I think he's better than I, you know, he is. Um, I mean, I, I don't mind telling you, I mean, like Corey Hart was a big, tall, right-handed hitter down in Bowling Green, you know, that was a cross country track guy and hadn't played a ton of baseball. And, you know, he ended up, you know, being probably a lot better than I thought he was going to be. I had, uh, we, you know, and the guy pitched for the Giants to even make it worse. Mm. You know that Jonathan Sanchez was up at Ohio Dominican, you know? And mm. and I'll be honest with you, I go and see Jonathan Sanchez, and he's pitching against, you know, a small school, and he's throwing like 87, 88, no breaking ball, and they're whacking him. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, here you look up and he's thrown a no hitter in the big leagues. And you're like, how did that happen? You know, when I saw him, you know, this small division two or NAI, whatever it was, he couldn't get them out, Yeah, you know? So it's a weird deal, you know, how the, it just happens. So, you know, somebody makes it a tweak in, in his delivery or adjustment or they get stronger or whatever. And then all of a sudden they've become a lot better player than you thought they were going to be. So the other night, uh, I'm watching Moneyball with my daughter. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a great movie. And we were just talking about how much that kind of changed the game. Um, put that in perspective for us. How much has cyber metrics kind of changed the way uh, the game is played, but also the way you have to scout now? Or has it? All right. First of all, and this is not going to be a little contrary to something. Okay. I like it. I never saw Moneyball. Okay. I had no interest in watching Moneyball, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, it, it, because you got to, I mean, I don't know how many years that would have been now. I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, something like that, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so here you've got typical scouting, right? And here's now this different group that's trying to do things differently. So it's like, we we weren't very accepting of that initially, <laughs> right? You know, because, you know, what were I see and so on and so forth. Now, with that being said, I think you evolve and you learn. And, I mean, we've got some super sharp guys in our office, mm-hmm. right? And 
I mean, they can figure out a lot of different things. Um, now, I will say on the Dodger side, especially on the amateur side, it's a good mix of analytics and what our scouts say. Mm. You know, it's I think when you I think w- when you get in trouble is when you want to go one side or the other. Sure. You know, oh, we're just going to listen to scouts heck with the analytics or it's all analytic driven and we could care less what the scouts say. Mm-hmm. That's where I think you get in trouble. I think we have a good philosophy in place of it's a good mix. Let's mix them together and let's let's say if the analytic side is lining up with what our guys in the field are saying and seeing with their eyes, then that makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, our guys are pretty, you know, Billy Gasparino and Josh Burns. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's way more old school scouting, I yeah. think, you know, than, I mean, we've still got tons of data. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, and some of the data, I have no idea even what it means or what it represents or anything. I look at those screens we've got and, (laughs) and all the initials. Yeah. And I don't have any idea, you know, what they mean. That makes me feel so much better. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, because, you know, and I was almost to a point a few years ago of almost throwing my hands up of like going, where do I go with this? You know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't want to take 20, 24, you know, 25, 30 years in the game coaching and, and scouting and just flush it and throw it out the window. But I don't also want to have my head in the sand of things that could possibly help us make a better decision on the player. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I mean, shoot, I've been doing this a long time, and whatever I would say, I don't know. For me personally, seventy, eighty percent. You know what I see, and, and you know, and what I can. I can look at a player and say, this guy reminds me of this guy and it worked, or this guy reminds me of this and that didn't work. Hmm. And using that and then going along with, but the thing is like the stats wise, and, and they're obviously much more detailed now, but we've always used scouts. Right. I mean, if you go into a ballpark and you, you thought you were going to like a pit or you did, let's say you did like a pitcher and you got a really good start and then you look at the, stats and it's like you know way more hits than innings and you know he's walked you know if he's pitched 50 innings he's walked 30 guys and he didn't strike anybody out well then you're going all right did i just get a good start start that day or Mm -hmm. you know what's the deal yeah um and and the same with hitters you know so you always looked at that to a degree you know and we had our you probably as a scout had your own little very minor formula that you sort of took the stats and ran through, you know, and now these guys have got stuff that, you know, (laughs) is much more detailed and complex. Okay. So speaking, I like trouble with the curve. Did you ever see that? movie? uh, No, I did not. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't watched it. That's the one that's Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Okay. He's like the old scout, you know, so that's the one that I'm going to go to more than I am money. All right, I'll watch that if you'll watch Moneyball. I think you'll enjoy it because <laughs> you got a lot of guys in that movie talking like what you're just saying right here. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking of, you got to go with your gut. I think a lot of us that aren't in your business, we watch when teams try to create the dream team, you know, and they sign great talent. And you typically think of the Yankees trying to do this. The Dodgers have done this some, spend a lot of money on payroll, and then they don't win. What does that tell us? That chemistry is more important sometimes than just skill? Or just because a player has great stats, it doesn't always translate well? Um, you know, what, what can we learn from this that sometimes it's not always the best payroll that wins? 
Yeah, I I think you you hit it on the nose. Just the the chemistry, you know, who is willing to give themselves up for the win versus pad their stats, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, I mean, if you look at some of the best guys out there, they're winners and they know how to win. You know, and if you can, I had heard years ago, like if your best guy is not a great guy or, or a pain in the neck, you're probably going to have a hard time. Yeah. But if your best guy is a grinder and a dirt bag and play super hard, you probably have a good chance. Mm. You know, I'll tell you this one. This was a people I think who enjoy this one. Um, so the first year Mookie comes over, mm. my buddy is uh, our double A manager. And they're working base running at second base. And it was like reads at second base, you know. Um, so he, he's got like – now, he's the double main manager. He ain't the big league manager. He's not even on the big league staff. But – so he's got these guys, and he's got the big guys. I mean, he's got Turner and Mookie and Seager and, you know, whatever at this group that they're doing their base running stuff. And so Mookie does his last rep and doesn't get a great read, right? So this buddy of mine, Scott Hennessy, our double-A manager, he says, hey, Mook, probably one of the best. Let's try another one. Well, some guys in the big leagues, I'm not saying our guys, I'm just saying some guys would look at the double-A manager and go, the heck with you. I ain't running another, you know, I'm not yeah. doing another, you know, who are you to tell me yeah. I need to do another. So Mookie gets there and does another rep, gets a good read, whatever. And then he comes to Scott later and he says, Hey, I appreciate you holding me accountable for doing that and making me do another one. Mm. So there's your makeup, right? There. Wow. You know, here's the best guy or, you know, not the best guy, one of the best guys in the game and one of the best guys on our ball club. And he is appreciative of Scott asking him to, let's do another rep and get it right. Mm. And then, you know, we talked about tools. I mean, you put Mookie's base running. I mean, it's an 80 base runner. Yeah. You know, he's a great base runner. Right. You know, but the attention to detail and things like that. So when you've got guys like that, you know, Turner and Mookie and, and Kirsch and those guys leading the charge. It's easy to follow yeah. follow along with those guys. You know, that one year we had, you know, Utley and Kirsch and Kinley and I mean guys are gonna follow those guys. Yeah. You know, they've been through the wars, they've been very successful, you know, and guys are gonna follow those just like now, you know, with Turner and Betts and, you know whoever yeah so yeah those guys are fun to watch mm -hmm. fun to watch a little different than uh yasiel puig so <laughs> you don't have to comment on that that's my comment <laughs> okay so i want to ask you about uh ownership all right and this is where we really see the value of leadership because the dodgers were really a mess i'll say it so you don't have to when the mccourts owned the dodgers and now a new ownership comes in and it it just changes seemingly overnight. What what did new ownership do to change the culture so quickly? And I'm sure some things took time, but I think we could all benefit from learning two or three things that really helped right the wrongs or change the direction of the organization that really mattered in the long run. Um. I mean, obviously, we needed to go in a different direction when they did that. And, um, but then you had, you know, they brought along Stan Cast and, you know, they bring Andrew in, you know, they've got a whole different group of guys and not to knock anybody else other than, you know, before that. But, you know, when it, it was so tight before and when these were like, look, we're, we're interested in winning you know, and do what it takes to win. And there's never been anything like, 
of all the scouts that I can talk to, if there's never been any like um, hindrance or nah, we can't do that. We can't afford that. You know, like if I say, Hey, look, I'd like to make this trip and it may seem like an oddball trip or whatever, but I, I think, you know, I think it'd be good to see this guy another time or whatever. The answer is always yes. Hmm. You know, and, and they just, we just do, um, you know, go about things the right way that way and making sure that, I mean, you'll hear some clubs, you know, they'll be off the road in the winter time or the, or the fall, or they may be off the road in the, in the, in the summertime. Um, you know, when all the COVID stuff and all that kind of stuff hit, a lot of them were, there was some teams that, their guys were off their contract. They, I think they got benefits and whatever, but Mm. you know, that never happened with us, Mm. you know? So when, when that's your ownership, you know, you want to work hard for those people, you know, when they take care of you and do things right by us, you want to continue to, to work hard on your end. And, you know, it's that, you know, they make you want to make, take that five o'clock wake up, you know, (laughs) and, and, and work hard for, you know, and I thought one of the cool things years ago was, um, Stan Caston had mentioned to the players about, do you remember when you were a kid and getting autographs and stuff and, and they made it a big deal of, you know, our guys sitting there and, and, being available for autographs and things like Mm. that, you know? And I thought that because the Dodger baseball has always been Mm -hmm. family oriented, right? I mean, even when you went back to the McCourt, so the reason, I mean, obviously it's a huge place, right? LA is a huge place and a huge market, but even when you go back to um, the O'Malley's owning it, it was all about family, Mm. you know? And, and if you look it's those, you know, that family that took their kids. Now the kids is, are grown and now they're taking their families and so on and so forth. Mm. And it and it's a family uh, passed down through generations of Dodger baseball, you know. And I think that's why so many people are proud of Dodger baseball and such Dodger fans. And, you know, it was, it was always cool for me, even – out here, and I think you had it because they had Vero Beach. Um, you know, you had Brooklyn, and then you had Vero Beach. You know, I'd run into older people, and they're, oh, yeah, I, you know, I've always been a Dodger fan back in Brooklyn, you know? I mean, it was just <laughs> always been, you know, uh, a family tradition almost type deal. So Makes sense. Yeah, and that, that kind of – plays perfectly in LA because of the Lakers and their family tradition mm-hmm. uh, with the bus family, a little bit more of a mess right now, but uh, mm-hmm. we need your help over there. Okay. <laughs> so I want to tee you up to talk about an organization that, that you're very passionate about and some mutual friends of, of ours uh, run this great organization called refuge. So uh, tell us a little bit about them and what they do to try to assist and help out um, uh, women uh, specifically. So I'm on the board of directors for uh, a national organization called Refuge for Women. And it's basically the the simple fact of we're just trying to get ladies out of human trafficking, sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. And we've got locations across the country. We've got seven locations. Um, We have long-term housing that... They can stay um, from 90 or excuse me, nine months to a year in this long-term housing and everything's taken care of for them um, from housing, food, therapy, counseling, medical, dental, whatever they need is all taken care of for for them. Mm. And um, we've got long-term housing in North Texas, South Texas, it originated here in Kentucky with um, Ken Michelle Frank, who you were referencing, both friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And um, they started it about 13 years ago. And we've got long-term housing here. We've got it in Chicago. 
We've got it in Las Vegas, and we've also got a uh, house in Southern Cal. Mm. So um, along with that, we've got transitional living. So once the girls go through the year-long program, they can now transition into uh, housing that, you know, it's not, it's structured, but it's not as structured as the long-term and they can get out. Um, we've also got emergency housing that's in Kentucky. Um, we're opening up one in Louisville and we've got one in Pittsburgh as well. So if we were to get a lady off the street tonight, we could um, immediately bring them to um, the emergency house and get them sort of stable. Um, and they can stay at the emergency house from 30 to 60 days. Again, everything's taken care of for them. And the hope is that, you know, they would want to transition into the long-term uh, program from that. But it's a, it's a nonprofit faith-based, you know, there's a, um, you know, a, a faith-based curriculum that they have to go through and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's Bible studies and they, you know, different things. We'll have volunteers come in and do Bible studies with them and, and that kind of thing. And then we've also, um, started, I guess it's probably two years ago. We started a thing called survivor made so that we could employ Hmm. the ladies and they can work different. Like when they first started out, they might work once a week and, 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 they might, you know, transition a couple times a week or three days a week. And then the transitional, once they get into transitional living, they can come and uh, they can work full time with Survivor Made. And we're doing, you know, it's candles, it's leather goods, totes and purses and, and that kind of thing, um, earrings. And the one uh, f- there's a bunch of cool things about that but one of the things you know one some of these ladies have never had a job before mm-hmm. you know just a regular job so now they're learning job skills and how to interact with people and what it takes to work a job but then the confidence level and the self-esteem and everything that they're learning through the program now they get and they're working with Survivor Made, and now they're turning out candles or they're turning out a beautiful leather, leather purse that they've sewed themselves. Hmm. And the confidence level really goes through the roof when they're able to do things like that. Um, so it's a really a neat program. I mean, obviously, these girls have been in, you know, some very rough situations, um, but they're when they go through the program and what we've seen, they're not all this way, you know, but a lot of the stories on the, when they come through the program at the end, I mean, are very successful and what, Mm. what they had started at to now where they're at and, and, you know, their, their love for God and love for Jesus and, and, you know, understanding that, their worth, what their worth is in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think that's a huge thing for them that, you know, a lot of them or some of them didn't feel like they're worthy at all, you know, and Mm. to, to teach them, look, your worth in God's eyes is tremendous, is huge, Mm. you know, and them understanding that. And, so we've just had a lot of the, actually the first girl that um, graduated from the program years ago is now coming back and she's going to be working with Survivor Made and doing sales and different things like that. So the whole hmm. thing has, um, you know, it's come for full circle, I guess, you know, and hmm. the other cool thing about it is I, I think you know, running a nonprofit and trying to make ends meet and trying to do things like that is tough. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, they have a book out of sort of the history of refuge for women and, and all that. And it, to me, it's just amazing how every step of the way God's been there, you know, and 
when things look bleak, when things like, mm. you know, we need money, when we, we need, you know, somebody left a position and we've got to find somebody, how God has always been there for us and for them and made it happen, you know, and that is really cool to me of yeah. he's, he's there every step of the way with us and, yeah. um, and to see, yeah. And I, and, and I think it's amazing, you know, he has to be proud of the work that's going on and, and all the volunteers and workers that are serving all these ladies and, and, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I've known some people that have been through it and I know some people that help run it as you do as well. And it is incredible work. So thank you for being a, uh, on the board for them, but a, a champion for that as well. And we will get more information uh, in the show notes as well about what they do. So Marty, thank you. you bet, uh, as, as, as I told you before, I'm from Kansas, so that makes me a Royals fan, but I've always, <laughs> I've always felt like the Dodgers were the Royals of the National League because they have similar uniforms. So there you uh, go. I got nothing uh, but, but good will towards the Dodgers. Uh, so hopefully they win again because we're not winning for another 30 years. So. When are the Dodge, when are the Royals coming to Dodger Stadium? Right? Well, it'll be a few years. They were there a few years ago, and it did not go well. So, uh, yeah. hopefully, they'll be good again by the time they come back. Th- thank you for your time, Marty. All the best you to you and the Dodgers and your family. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for listening. As always, leave a review, and we will read it on the air. And we're going to draw for a winner at the end of summer give away a great gift to you. So make sure you check that out. I would love to have you be a part of what we're doing here by leaving us a review. Next week, we're back with brand new content, and I'm going to give you another way that I've messed up in our third episode of How I Broke This. Should be a lot of fun as we talk about my failures. Always love that. So can't wait to have you back next week. Make sure you share this with a friend. And thanks so much for Stadia sponsoring us, stadiachurchplanning.org. As always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Let's just-